fellow travellers, and welcome to Podcast 50 again in the series You Should Have Been There. Yes, I'm afraid we're um, having another Podcast 50, and this is the correct one this time because of a slight accounting error. Anyway, it's me, Mick Webb. And me, Simon Calder, and delighted on this historic 50th occasion to introduce a very special guest, Tony Wheeler. Yes, co-founder of Lonely Planet, because it's 48 years ago this week that Tony and his wife Maureen arrived in Sydney after a six-month overland trip from Europe. 27 cents they had left between them, but uh, on that they managed to start Lonely Planet publications. The rest is travel history. Lonely Planet expanded to become the world's largest independent guidebook publisher. But Tony, um, you've not been far since I make it the 18th of March this year when you arrived back from Yemen to your home in Melbourne, Victoria. Um, how's it been? It's been terrible. Basically, I have been nowhere at all. Uh, Australians are not allowed to leave the country unless they can pull some strings, which I don't have access to. So we're locked down in Australia. And worse than that, we're actually very often locked down into an individual state in Australia. Western Australia, which has always talked about declaring its independence, has basically locked itself away from all the rest of the country. Currently, Sydney is having a, a little, you know, compared to what's going on in Europe or the Americas, it's nothing at all. But they are having a some mysterious cases popping up. And as a result, if you've recently been to Sydney, you're not allowed to come back to Melbourne unless you go into quarantine for two weeks. And that costs you $3,000 and the conditions are not very nice. So yeah, the travel has been extraordinarily restricted. And in fact, we had during Melbourne's worst lockdown phase, we had a number of weeks when we were not allowed to go more than five kilometers from our front door. And there was an app. You could load it up on your mobile phone, put your address in, and it would show you where your five-kilometer border <laughs> came. I, I could go halfway around the Grand Prix circuit. One half of the Grand Prix circuit was within my five-kilometer radius. The other half, if I was Lewis Hamilton, I would not be setting any, any lap records. <laughs> But that was then. Um, this is now a look ahead to um, uh, 2021. So where are we going, Mick? Uh, well, I'm, I'm going to ask Tony. First of all, I want to ask you, what did you discover during the time you were um, confined to barracks, as it were? Well, you know, I, I think, and I'm sure a lot of people all over the world have discovered this, how much interest there is in your own backyard. But if you just go out and research things around where you live, You'll, you'll discover there's all sorts of things which you should have known about, but for various reasons you haven't. And I think that's going to be one of the things that as travel comes back, it's going to come back in baby steps. And a fair amount of it is going to be local travel. You know, if we look at what's, what, is, what is working at the moment, uh, here in Australia, you cannot buy a caravan. Now, I've never liked the idea of caravan. Very, you know, even worse than cruise ships, I think. But um, caravans have never appealed to me. But, you know, now there's a waiting list for them because if you buy a caravan, you can go off and travel and you're locked down into your own little safe environment. It's like like being a turtle or a snail, isn't it? <laughs> how much of that is legal uh, response to the law and how much is it very simply that, that um, humans are kind of going back into their holes to to um, uh, protect themselves, their, their caves against the, um, the threats of the world, Tony? 
I think it's more the latter than the former. I don't think there's any requirement that you travel around the caravan. <laughs> but I think a lot of people are thinking, you know, hey, this is safe. I can go and travel and I can I can see things that I, I'd like to see. And um, I don't have to be rubbing shoulders with other people. And so I, I, I think that's going to be one of the things that we see, that we we won't see we won't see intercontinental travel jumping back really fast because a lot of the countries we'd like to visit are very reluctant to have us in. You know, they're, they're, I think a lot of the travel question is going to be two things. Where are we allowed to go from our own country? Um, and where are we going to be accepted? Where, which places will let us in? And then having been there, will we be able to get back? You know, will it be another case? You know, the, I think the UK has been the leader in this. If you're not back by 4 a.m., you're locked down. Yes. Uh, and the whole quarantine mess hasn't helped us um, uh, at all, really, with the um, uh, appallingly high uh, rates of both infection and, sadly, deaths in the UK. Uh, I've actually just been writing a story about how Thailand is banning food and drink on domestic flights in order to keep the lid on coronavirus infections. It has had, since the start of the pandemic, uh, 6,700 cases, which is what the UK in its last uh, 24 hours of reporting um, did in three hours. So that gives you some idea of the uh, the disparity and how quickly we might be welcomed back in Thailand. But there you are sitting pretty in, in Australia. Um, what about these travel bubbles. Um, we're, we were told, I think, quite early on that um, Australia and New Zealand were going to bubble with each other. Um, <laughs> are, are you bubbling yet? No, we're not at all. You know, we, we have sort of half a bubble that New Zealand can come to us. How do you have half a bubble? I have no idea. <laughs> well, it, it's the other half of the Grand Prix circuit, I think you'll find. <laughs> New, New Zealanders are allowed... They're allowed to come to some parts of Australia, but not all. But we can't go back the other direction. And what I've been saying, you know, is New Zealanders have technically been allowed to leave New Zealand anytime they want to. If they come back, it can be difficult getting back because there aren't enough flights. And if they come back, they're then put into enforced quarantine. But they can leave. Well, we can't even leave. But if we could go to New Zealand, then I guess we could leave from New Zealand. So I'm just dying for the other half the other half of the bubble to form Sydney because I don't want to talk to anybody from Sydney you certainly don't because there are um, uh, some of our finest um, uh, young backpackers there apparently um, flying the flag for COVID anyway I wondered whether in fact uh, you talking of half bubbles Tony whether actually the uh, the future of travel might be in Twinnings. Yeah, look, it could be. I mean, we, you know, we, we, we did have the Australia New Zealand bubble, which has been talked about. It's, it'll be 12 months in a couple of months' time, but it's been talked about without actually eventuating. Then Singapore and Hong Kong were about to have a bubble. And I, I actually know someone who signed up to be on the first bubble flight. And then it got cancelled because things went, things went wrong in Hong Kong. But, you know, it, it it wouldn't even be um, uh, a week or a month of um, UK activity. It'd be five minutes. You know, they've they've really had no cases at all. But the Singaporeans have said, no, we don't want those Hong Kongers coming in. So the Hong Kong-Singapore bubble was popped before it even formed. 
and I look at lots more. There was a there was a Baltic bubble, Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania were going to have a bubble, and that was all perfect for quite a long while, and then Lithuania has just gone off the charts. So who knows? Uh, well, I'm just in, in terms of the um, twinning, by the way, maybe we will find that these twinning arrangements actually will allow city to city travel. And I'm intrigued. I think the two greatest examples of, of places punching above their weight are Oklahoma City, which has managed to get a twinning with Rio in Brazil and um, uh, the, the uh, grand Russian city of Novgorod, uh, quite possibly the, the second or third most beautiful place in, that, uh, in the world's biggest country, needed a British partner. Um, you'd think they could really get anybody, but they settled on Watford. There we are. Um, I, I think we're straying off this, uh, although um, Mick and I can probably just about to get to, to Watford, which is uh, also in tier four as we are. Which oh, is that, does that mean it's allowed? Well, I would only go if I could... Uh be bothered to get there on my bike because um, I am uh, uh, eschewing uh, public transport and until um, I get my jab. Um, actually, getting back to some sort of rather more serious practical matters, uh, folks, do you think that um, if and when uh, the uh, travel business does open up to a certain extent, um, uh, maybe in the middle of this year, maybe a bit later. Uh, will there be anything left? Will there be any planes or businesses? I mean, what, what, what's the state going to be? Well, um, if if uh, we, we are going to be travelling locally or, I guess, regionally, as, as Tony says, and I think there's a lot to that, we won't need all these um, big intercontinental planes, which is just as well because half of them are in the desert. Uh, I believe there's quite a lot parked up in central Australia. Um, Victorville in California is an increasingly popular uh, spot for spotting the, the relics and uh, um, just uh, uh, um, in, in Lourdes of all places and and Knock in Ireland, both pilgrimage destinations, um, Airbus A380s are being taken apart, uh, just completely scrapped, um, even though they're only what, 11 or 12 years old. So um, there will not be nearly so much long haul flying because um, there simply won't be the planes. We were kind of working at full stretch in 2019. We're certainly not anymore. That's interesting. What do you reckon, Tony? Do you think uh, that that uh, tourist businesses, agencies, um, I don't know, all the all the different parts of the industry, uh, presumably quite a lot of it is uh, has closed, uh, never to open again. I think that's probably very true, and I I, I don't think we're really going to going to find out what um, what the story is until things do reopen and airlines don't come back into action. You know, Qantas is is quite busy now domestically, but all their international aircraft, a lot of them, are, remarkably, they're not parked in Central oh. Australia. Central Australia has a lot from <laughs> Singapore, but the, the Qantas ones all seem to be out in the USA for some reason. Um, and I suspect some of them are never going to come back. I think Simon's comment about A380s being taken apart. I, sadly, I don't... I, I, really like the A380, a nice aircraft, nice big aircraft, but I don't see a, a great demand for it in the future. Emirates might be able to keep them going, but 
Emirates, you know, it doesn't, the economy is a different thing. Can I just ask you both what you think is going to happen to uh, accommodation, another rather important part of travel and tourism? I mean, is it possible that uh, the uh, very large resort hotels, all-inclusive kind of places are likely to um, uh, just have gone bankrupt or will they be the ones that survive and the smaller ones the the family boutique sort of places which i must say i much prefer staying in um uh, do you think they'll be the ones that uh, uh, don't reopen their doors airbnb has had this amazing um initial public offering and no one can quite understand how it defies gravity but you know that would would seem to indicate that the smaller places might work better and we're, we're talking about the big ones being rather like cruise ships, that the idea of the, the breakfast buffet is dead. We're never going to see that again. You know, we, <laughs> we, I think anybody who makes predictions about where we're going to be at the end of 2021, I mean, I, I would, March 18th, as Simon says, when I flew back into Australia, if you'd asked me, I'd have thought, well, this should be over by June or July. And you know, by the end of 2020, it'll all be back to normal. Well, we're end of 2020, and we're, we're not even back to where I thought June or July might have been. Will we be in 12 months' time having this same conversation all over again? I, I very much hope not, and uh, the politicians clearly think we will not. But can we get back on board the cruise ship? Because um, they've had about the worst time. Their, their model is completely uh, based on, well, like all-inclusive resorts, industrialising catering um they bring an awful lot of people into very very close confinement and of course we've had the diamond princess in tokyo uh that ship which uh, became a coronavirus hotspot in its own right and then tony the ruby princess i'm sure will be um uh, ring some bells in australian uh, hearts fondly remembered in australia yeah there's been there's been so many um precious jewels and princesses and cruise ships i mean the <laughs> Cruise ships have been the great disaster of all this, and they're going to have to, you know, look at how they do things again. And the the attempts to restart have not been exactly glowing in their success, have they? Do, do you think we? Do you think they might actually? Um completely disappear i mean like those uh huge aircraft which you talked about simon being dismantled at uh, lured airport in uh, southern france do you think that um the same thing might actually happen to these massive cruise liners and maybe we actually well we're told that um uh, rethinking everything has uh something that has uh come out of the uh the lockdowns um do you, do you think we should be rethinking tourism completely? That this is this sort of rather self-indulgent kind of stuff um, where pampered Westerners just kind of swan around the world, um, uh, ticking off really lovely places that they've seen for half an hour. Uh, is that possibly going to go out the window? I, I think it will. Uh, Tony, we, you and I have talked in the past about peak tail fin, and this was in America um, in the 1950s, where basically every year the tail fins on cars got bigger and bigger and bigger until I believe about 1958, when people just thought enough. And since then, clearly, uh, it's all been downhill for the poor old tail fin. And I think we might come to look at 2019 as 
the, the, the peak travel, not just in the sheer number of people and the places they went to, but in the extremes with which we went with these uh, 6,000 plus uh, person cruise ships with, with all these huge aircraft flying people by the 500 around the world. Um, and yeah, we will go back to kind of slower, greener, better ways to explore, or perhaps we won't. I think, that, I think that is going to happen. And, you know, the, the other thing, of course, was in, in Europe in particular, the let's go somewhere for the weekend. Oh, God, it's Friday, you know. Will it be Prague or the Ivory Coast or somewhere else this weekend? You know, the, and I, I just I don't see that coming back. I, I think that we are going to be more restrained. You know, the cruise ships are a really good example of, you know, they, they were right out on the edge there. And it was these gigantic ships with, huge numbers of people, and as a result, it was really cheap. There are so many cruise ship enthusiasts who are just dying to get back there on the cruise ships. But, you know, the, the encouraging signs, one of them was in the Caribbean, which is, of course, the, the world center for cruising. They all sail out of Miami Beach. They cruise around the Caribbean. They come back to Miami Beach, and you've basically had all your meals on the ship, and you've bought your souvenirs on the ship, and you've hardly put a dollar into the um, local Caribbean economies. And a number of Caribbean countries have said, okay, you know, we'd, we'd like the cruise ships come to come back because they're good business, but we don't want them to come back in the form they were before. So I think that there is a, a pushback against some of the worst excesses of travel as we saw it in can, can I just um, counter that by saying, but surely, surely, uh, particularly with tourism-dependent economies, as soon as it looks as though travel's got the green light to re restart, there will then be this massive arms race um, with, with Greece, with Grenada, um, with uh, other places around the world, all just saying, come to us, come to us, because they quite understandably desperately want to rescue what's left of their tattered um, economy and um, provide as many jobs as they can. So won't that all go out the window when we're, we're feeling a bit more uh, mobile? I, I think some of it will. I think you're absolutely right, Simon, that, you know, that there is a, you know, we, we sit back relatively comfortably in the, the cushioned West with, you know, an economy that's big enough to support things even when things aren't going very well. But there are lots of countries out there, and I think Africa is a very good example, where, you know, the, the things have all just gone totally wrong. And the, the tourists you depended upon every week just aren't there anymore. And I, I think, yeah, there will be a, a real push to, um, to get their economies back working again. You know, close to us here in Australia, Indonesia. You know, well, what's happening in Bali? Bali, you know, is a, a totally tourism-dependent economy. And it, effectively, it's been shut down completely. Some some Javanese may come there, but it's not the um, the international bolt hole that it was before. So I suppose it would then, uh, any change would just then require um, people, the people who go on the cruises and um, can afford to go, let's say, skiing, for example, and things like that, actually uh, rethinking their um, ethical position, if I can put it as strongly as that, um, because otherwise, uh, yeah, as you say, the sort of if your economy is 
15, 20% dependent on tourism, you're not actually um, going to say, well, in the post-pandemic world, um, we are not going to have cruise liners coming here anymore. Um, we want something more sustainable. Uh, but at the same time, it won't bring any money. That's not going to work very well, is it, politically? Uh, yeah, they, they, it's a horrible, horrible uh, situation. I'm going to actually take you back 25 years to um, the Gambia or Gambia. I'm not sure which is the correct way to um, uh, name that country. But they said we unilaterally out of all the countries in the world are going to say no all inclusives anymore. We want people to come here and explore the local surroundings and go out and eat meals and spread the wealth around. Um, that's absolutely laudable and the sort of thing that has many echoes of, of, of people uh, these days. But um, it lasted about, uh, I was going to say six months, I think it was nearer three months before um, effectively people voted with their feet and said, oh, well, we'd like to come to Gambia, but... Um, uh, we, yeah, we don't really trust. And this is, I, I'm afraid, all too often from people in the West, particularly maybe Northern Europe, um, we don't really trust all that foreign food. We want an all-inclusive or we're not coming. I think as Simon was saying, you know, the, when the doors reopen, there'll be lots of places saying, come back for your boozy weekend, um, you know, get on the flight from London on Friday night and come back on Sunday afternoon. But But I hope, you know, we've... We've had flight shaming. You know, flight shaming was happening before the, the pandemic. And I think we're going to see more of that. And we're going to see more of it, more of related versions of it. So I, I'm sort of hoping that we might be a more, more responsible tourists afterwards. One of the things I've been involved with is um, New Zealand in particular is looking at the, the, what the situation might be after the pandemic because they were going through an over-tourism thing just like Venice and Amsterdam and Barcelona. But in, in New Zealand, it was more of we're on the walking trails and we used to be, uh, you know, enjoying ourselves and out there in nature. And suddenly we're elbowing our way between lots of international tourists. Uh, you know, New Zealand was saying, do we have to go back to that? When, you know, right now it's stopped. Pretty much like in Barcelona, you can have the, the ramblers to yourself. Well, in New Zealand, you can have the walking trails to yourself. Do we want to go back to the way it was before? Tony, isn't this a great opportunity for entrepreneurs who want to come up with some great new travel innovation? Because you've got very cheap planes. You can pick up an old cruise ship and convert it into something more modern, you know, a boutique uh, cruise ship. Or, um, uh, Well, do you know, the, the thing that I've been waiting to have happen here, here in Australia, because uh, at the moment, if you come back... If, if you can get into Australia, and that's essentially Australians returning here, we're not very welcoming to overseas visitors. Um, but if you do manage to get into Australia, you have to do 14 days of hotel quarantine at your expense. The, you know, you're sort of arrested at the airport and you're taken to a hotel and shoved in the hotel. I was speaking to someone a few days ago who just who'd done that. And he said the food was surprisingly good. But he said, I didn't have an opening window in my room. And I got, I got 30 minutes in the car park each day. It sounded worse than a jail. And you're, and you're paying for this. I mean, you're, you're billed for this. Well, why haven't we opened some deluxe versions? Yeah. We can take a barrier reef island and sort yeah. of fence it off as a quarantine island and charge people a fortune 
but you can have a very luxurious um, enforced quarantine. Now, let's assume that some stage, let's say in the middle of 2021, we are allowed to travel more or less wherever we would wish. Um, Tony and Mick, where's the first place you intend to go when you get the chance to do some proper travelling? Well, I, I've got three three places I'd go to. First of all, I, I've still got a ticket. I was in, after I was back here in March, I was coming, flying to the UK a month or two later via Paraguay and Uruguay. And I have not, I have not gone to Qantas and said, refund my ticket. I've still got the damned ticket. So, you know, I could um, start off by going to Uruguay, Montevideo, uh, Art Deco architecture, colonial history, Fray Bentos just up the road, surf beaches out towards the Atlantic, the River Plate, you know, all sorts of reasons to go there. I could do that. Secondly, I was going to do a trip around the Greek islands this year. It's still 2020 as I speak. Um, Maybe I can regenerate that trip and go there. But also I've had a number of European friends saying, you know, let's do some walks. We should be walking places. And I've never done the Camino Santiago. So there's a good reason to go to Spain and do that great walk. And there's this new walk between Ravenna in Italy on the Adriatic coast and um, and uh, Florence, Firenze, following the steps of Dante. Uh, and that's been a sort of a, a, a new thing to do. And Italian friends have said, why don't you come to Italy as soon as you're free and we'll do that walk. So maybe some walking is on the agenda. What a great idea. Uh, I mean, what great ideas. Although with the Italian uh, walking idea, for goodness sake, don't try it in the heat of July or August. It would be infernal. I'm here all week. Uh, ha, ha, ha. Yes. OK, I think I get, <laughs> yes, I get that one. Um, uh, t- Tony, I'm absolutely in agreement with you. I've um, with uh, over the, the southern cone. I went to Uruguay a couple of years ago and to Argentina and I didn't get to Chile. Uh, for some reason, I just can't quite get that out of my mind. Well, my uh, top tip is simply uh, uh, to be opportunistic, which I have been all year. I've, would you believe, been on holiday to Northern Ireland three times because for a lot of the time it was the only place that you could go to. And I was actually almost chased out of uh, the country on the uh, day before it went into, a, I think, a four-week lockdown. Uh, the only place you could drink that Friday night uh, was the bar at Belfast International Airport. But the one place I've got on my list... <laughs> is going to be the southern cone of South America as well because there is going to be an astonishing Antarctic eclipse on the 4th of December. My plan is to go and park myself either in Punta Arenas in Chile or Ushuaia in Argentina and just be there as a standby. So if there's any no-shows on the cruise boats going out at incredibly high prices, I might be able to um, uh, find a a, a bed to uh, try that. But otherwise, I would say just be be as as opportunistic as you can all year um tony i think we have to um thank you for this anybody who wants to follow the travels tony wheeler and frankly who wouldn't uh, can uh, go to tonywheeler.com.au and that's where you can also sign up for his blog and find out an awful lot more about tony and the world. Yes, well, thank you so much, Tony. It's been um, it's been great talking to you, and it and it sounds as though we're going to meet somewhere like Tierra del Fuego. 
presumably having traveled there by um uh some kind of sailing ship or catamaran or something um and uh, uh in december at the end of this year so uh thanks very much next week we're going to be talking about travel films films about the travel experience uh so until then from me mick webb and me simon calder goodbye goodbye and goodbye from tony wheeler in lockdown melbourne